On December 10, 1946, one of the worst aviation disasters in U.S. history occurred on the slopes of Mount Rainier. Six transport planes departed from San Diego, California, en route to Seattle, carrying between them more than 200 U.S. Marines. While flying over southwestern Washington, the aircraft all encountered heavy weather and were forced to navigate solely by instruments. Only one of the six aircraft actually made it to the Seattle airport, which had been their destination. Four had turned back and landed in Portland, while the last transport vanished. A two-week search over air and ground turns up nothing. The military offers up a $5,000 reward for information regarding the wrecked plane. In June of that year, while flying around Mount Rainier in search of the wreckage, one man would sight something much more unusual than a downed aircraft. He would have an encounter that would, as some might argue, kicked off the age of modern UFO sightings. This case file joined the theorists as they fly the friendly Cascadian skies with the grandfather of flying saucers in the Kenneth Arnold UFO encounter. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 244, the Kenneth Arnold flying saucer debacle. We didn't decide what the back end was of that one. Uh, <laughs> Kenneth Arnold with UFO. UFO? <laughs> UFO encounter. Encounter, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, Kenneth Arnold, UFO encounter. There you go. That's Brayden. I'm Zell. <laughs> I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew. I thought for sure you're going to try and tag on some type of COVID. I thought he was going to cough. Round two. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I do. It's I somehow. Listen, well, so, buddy, somehow, we're on to no, it. We, we know you fucking purposely French kissed one of your coworkers with COVID just so you could keep that sexy morning voice. <laughs> you can <laughs> be around yeah, a little longer. Yeah, you be getting <laughs> a lot of compliments. compliments about it and it's fucking gone to his head. I'm not tired. More. One comment. I was like, he's trying. Can we record earlier, please? He's just got a fucking <laughs> Petri dish before beside his computer that takes a quick lick before the fucking case file starts. Goes down to the, yeah. the public rail and... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, used, I used to spit out phlegm. Not anymore. Gar- that just in. gargles it. Gargles, gargles it and guts it. Recycle the that's sickness. Get this nice rasp. <laughs> yes. Hawks one up. Uh, oh, that's a keeper. <laughs> yeah, exactly a year. Uh, almost exactly a year for Braden COVID round two. Yeah, um, I mean, I've been sick once before where I thought maybe I had COVID. I just didn't get tested. So this, but no, this is, this is definitely COVID. I tested, I got my little rapid test, uh, dual lines. Um, Sucks, man. It sucks again. I thought it was for sure be not as bad the second time. Yesterday, I was like, yesterday at like noon, I was like, for me, the worst part about COVID is, both times I've 100% had it, I get the worst muscle aches in my hips. I feel like the tendons from my <laughs> hips to my knees are t- tightened to the point where they're going to split. And I, I have a hard time standing up straight because my tendons feel so tight and my hips get so achy. It's unbearable. Here's my question. Like, is 
is being excessively sweaty an illness? Because maybe you're <laughs> immunocompromised. Like maybe something's going on that we don't know about and you're just prone to getting fucking sick. Dude, I've been <laughs> sick in a long time. I'm never sick. Oh, wait. Never mind. Sorry, it's obesity. That's what it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. Well, we, uh, that hurt. Brayden health update. <laughs> health update. <laughs> Fat Brayden is back. Said Andrew. I cut deep. Yeah. We'll see how funny he is. That, that's the true tell. Yeah. I don't know. The COVID mm. brain might, might suck the funniness it's out. Might eagle it out. Yeah. Bounce it out. <laughs> Anyways, we're, we're taking, yeah. we're taking uh, this case back to an OG. We briefly touched on in the past on the on Maori Island episode or something, but Kenneth Arnold. Right. The OG. We talk, yeah. We mentioned Kenneth Arnold back in the Maury Island. He was one of the one of the two principal investigators on that case who was dispatched by um Ray Palmer. And we talked about it. We'll talk a little bit about him later too, maybe. Uh but I think we, yeah, we talked deep. about that Kenneth Arnold, like Zell said, is one of the OG UFO experiencers or one of the U, like original UFO cases. Well, specifically for the term, like we're good, we'll get to it, but the flying saucers, flying discs, and how he kind of described his encounter and how kind of the media took that. But yeah, uh, so uh, Kenneth Arnold on June twenty fourth, nineteen forty seven. This is only this is a couple weeks before Roswell. So even if you want to kind of, you can make the argument that this is when modern UFO study began right here, or they became popular like right around here, and then Roswell kind of just like shot it up into the stratosphere. You know, this is first stage rocket booster stuff here. Um, <laughs> uh, he was flying this uh, single engine call air duster near Mount Rainier in the state of Washington, the United States. What's considered a duster? It's like a tiny little plane, like a little single engine plane. That's when you just have a mustache. <laughs> Thank you. Or a trench coat, right? Yes. <laughs> cool trench coat. Uh, and... Um, so <clears throat> he was flying around here. Now Kenneth Arnold is uh th- he was 32 years at 32 years old at the point and he was an experienced pilot with over 4000 hours of flying time. And he was also a member of the Idaho Search and Rescue Unit with those qualifications. So he had he had apparently been in the area um and he was going to fly to Yakima for a sales call slash also at an air show uh is kind of what I read or what what seemed to be going on. He was just a jack of all trades. He's like, look, I'm gonna go just swoop in on this air show. I'm gonna hawk a couple fire extinguishers. <laughs> right. Fucking dust fucking, some crops here. He's a hustler. Well, I th- yeah, I think I but I think he actually he used planes. He was like a traveling, I don't yeah, I I don't think in the book that he wrote later with Ray Palmer, uh, he kind of refers to himself as like a, a fire, like a fire system, fire suppressing system installer. So I don't know if it's a fire extinguishers or like they actually like installed fire suppression systems. Um, that must have been some heavy duty shit because back in the forties, anything catches on fire and it's burning to the ground. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like the heavy steel outside that everything was made of. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was not a good time to label yourself as a fire suppression. Everything was covered in asbestos. <laughs> the spray it all. And, yeah. uh, so uh, he was actually flying this uh, his little single engine plane around. Um, he decided to take a kind of a detour from his main route to get a search on for a Curtis C forty six Commando transport that had gone missing earlier that year in January. Now this story about this one, like this plane crashed, and it's a bit 
I mean, it's kind of a tragic, it's kind of a tragic military tragedy because you had 32 U.S. Marines on board and all of them died. There were no survivors and the plane couldn't be found until later. Yeah, but like when big Arnold transport was, plane, yeah. Right. And when An Arnold was searching for it, um, he had hoped to find this craft or at least the, the crash site. And there had been a $5,000 reward offered uh, for information concerning it. So he figured that if he could find this, he could claim the reward at least and then help out those people searching for it. Um, but he really so, is a jack of all uh, trades. He's onto the air show. He's the farmer's markets. Hawk and he's so, also you know, he's on, like, this, oh, on the way. I could also maybe treasure get $5,000. Yeah. <laughs> Search yeah. and rescue. Yep. Uh, so he decided he had been flying up there for a couple hours and he gave up around, it's, he is reported around 3 PM and he decided to proceed on his way to Yakima, which is in the Southern part of the state of Washington. And then he, he says that a series of bright flashes caught his eye and he kind of compared them to, uh, as if someone had started an arc light in front of my eyes. And those are his words. Oh, fuck. Super bright. So super bright, something flashed like in his blinding, eye. Blinding, basically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You're like, when you blink, you still see it. Yeah. Basically. It's like every time you, you're walking down the road and you see a welder in the distance, what do you do? You stare at it. You can't fuck. You can't, I hate it too. You, I you can't look away. To it. Like a fucking moth to a flame. Like, yeah, exactly. He's like, I know I shouldn't stare at this for a lot longer than, oh, now I'm five seconds. And then, yeah. Now I'm blind. Yeah brilliantly lit objects flying in front of him. And he figured that these objects are about 20 or 25 or 30 miles away and flying at an altitude of 10,000 feet, like a little above where he was flying. And so seeing these objects... Um, well, and they're, and these things are clipping along. Like he's like, he sees these and immediately he's like, holy shit, like these things are fucking cruising. And this part of the story to me is the most impressive thing with... Kenneth Arnold, because he's also a genius. Because I don't know if I would have the wherewithal at this point to have done this, but he's seeing them travel. He basically, he's such a seasoned airman of this area that he knows what the distance is between these two points, like these two mountaintops. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to, they're about passing the first, I'm going to quickly time it and see how long it takes them to get past the second peak then I can do the math and figure out how fast they were actually traveling. What? He's doing this all in air while he's amazed at seeing these things. And didn't he, like, he sized them up measurement-wise too, right? Like, he got a full fucking description of them. He got the size and the speed. And, and like, how long did he have to actually look at these things with how fast they were moving? Right. He watched them cover, or he seemingly watched them cover the distance between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. And he used the distance between those two peaks, which he knew off the top of his head, to calculate that these objects, uh, which seemed to be larger to him, in his mind, to be larger than what he compared to a DC-4 airliner. And he got their speed at about, he says, about somewhere in the, like, in in the area of 1,200 miles per hour, so like twice the speed of sound. So <laughs> how many parsecs is that? Uh, That's a good question. We need, the, we need the calculator out there. Yeah, let's get yeah. the calculator out. Well, <laughs> and, that, and that was his, his, initial, his initial like estimate was 1,200 miles per hour, but it's actually more impressive than that uh, when he got to the ground and actually did the math on the time. Like he was just like plugging numbers in his head and he's like, I, uh, roughly this. It's like 1,657 miles per hour. So was smart. the actual speed. So smart, but not quite a beautiful mind. No. Not quite. Yeah, he had to wait to land. 
Well, I read that too, but then also, didn't he go back and say, he's like, that seems way too fast for any type of aircraft. And then he rounded it back down. But even the rounded number back down was still like three times the speed of any aircraft at the time. Yeah, it was still faster. We were still, I mean, I think Chuck Yeager wouldn't even break the sound barrier until later that year, I think. Like it's, um, yeah. So still nothing was traveling Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. Mm. This guy sees this thing a week later, something crashes in Roswell. Later that year, they break the sound barrier. Interesting. (laughs) Convenient. All I got to say. Convenient, (laughs) as you would say. Uh, So uh, Arnold... Arnold saw these objects traveling in what he described as an echelon formation, which is like a, it's kind of like a diagonal line. You can have left or right echelons, apparently. And it's what um, we call a half line V here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that honestly, because I was works. like, what the fuck does that mean? And then when he, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then, well, half V. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, you can see them. And then he described them, these objects, to be circular. Uh, they were about, uh, each one being about 100 feet across. And then they, what struck him as extremely strange was that they didn't seem to have any discernible tail. They didn't have any control surfaces. There's no tail, no wings, no nothing. Um, but he was, and he was pretty sure that these were, these were actual objects that he was seeing. There was an optical illusion or something like this because he could, he could, when he was looking at them, he said that these objects like periodically would flip, bank, and like weave side to side. Like they were moving. It's not like just a, you know, kind of a light f- flashing off stationary. a cloud or something and just like yeah, or stationary object. Right? Or a, these things were actually, a, you know, moving. a marine flare floating. <laughs> right. He, co- he compared them to like have being the tail of a, a Chinese kite. Like these things were moving around actually. Just like, yeah, seemingly getting like whipped around the sky. And so when, after Arnold saw these things, uh, he ended up, you know, taking the plane, made his full trip, made a landing. Um, he told some pilots at the at the airport that he landed, the regional airport that he landed at, kind of talked to some guys, kind of shooting the shit and told them about what he had seen. And so um, one of the pilots, uh, like uh, Arnold, recalls being kind of disappointed or a little bit like kind of, uh, you know, his his whole thing kind of being shut down about what he saw, the wonderment kind of taken away when he said one of the pilots suggested that it had something to do with some guided test missiles being tested from uh, a base uh, located at Moses Lake and nearby. And so he was kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess, like maybe that kind of makes sense. And Well, and to be honest, this is... this. We got to remember that at the time, this guy is about to coin the term flying saucer. So it's you, he literally has no idea what this could be. He doesn't even have a reference of like, it's flying saucers because he's about to create this. So when someone says like, maybe there's these guided missiles, maybe, I don't know what the fuck they were. (laughs) He also like mentioned too, like they seem to disappear like at Mount Adams. So the distance from their near to Mount Adams kind of seemed like, and it seemed like when they got to Mount Adams, he lost track of them. Yes. And so he he ended up telling his story to some local reporters, Bill Beckett and Nolan Skiff of the East Oregonian newspaper the day after he had the sighting. So some people kind of picked up on it and were kind of interested in, in what he had to, to say. And then uh, this is where you get the the origins or the purported origins of the the phrase flying saucers. So I think um, Kenneth Arnold has said that he kind of he didn't use the word, exact word flying saucer, but he used the word kind of like a cake pan or something like that is what he compared these these objects to. And then Skiff ended up using the word saucer like craft, and that's just what they run with. There's like 
internet saying like, he didn't say it was shaped like a craft. It said like it behaved like a saucer being skipped on water. Like how- Right. Like, yeah. Something like a cake pan being yeah. skipped. Well, and, and, and that's how he just, like in some of the other descriptions that I read, it's that like these things would just like, you know, erratic, like would just skip like a, like a, like a rock, right? Like they would drop altitude just ever so briefly, then bounce back up and go, and then again and back and forth, like there wasn't, it wasn't just a set flight path where it was just like, go. They maneuvered erratically on that flight path. Well, like bears a lot of resemblance to like now the modern videos and stuff where these things seem to accelerate, drop, like seem to rotate like the gimbal and like they're not performing straight, like a straight line pattern. They're just, they're all over the place. Well, I kind of thought, I, I was kind of thinking too, like one of the things that I was, like I was trying to picture myself seeing these things as he did. And then I was kind of wondering, I'm like, you know, we've talked so much about these things, maybe having the ability to warp time and space. So it's like, maybe they're not so erratic as we think, but whatever drive or whatever they're using that can bend time and space. When you're observing them from the outside, they seem to just shift in our time, like up and oh, down and, yeah. and maybe get that gets even more erratic as they're powering up. Right. But yeah, because like right when we were talking about that, it just popped in my head. It's like, why exactly? Like, what what do you think? Do you think they're trying to evade detection by moving erratically like that? Like, what would be the purpose for that? And that or, that makes a lot of sense. That's or cool. maybe it's a different, even like a different dimensional being, and that's how we perceive their ship in our dimension, right? Like, it's our it's eyes just, aren't it, can't track it properly. Yeah, it just yeah. it doesn't make sense in the fourth dimension. It, it, you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? It doesn't yeah. quite work. That's cool. So uh, Beckett went with went ahead and published the like a brief story, a brief, a brief snippet of the story, and he submitted it to the Associated Press wire service. And he used the words nine bright saucer-like objects to describe what Arnold saw. And so after he got <laughs> it there, like after it hit the Associated Press, like this story, it, it kind of blew up. Like it it kind of took, it was almost everywhere. Yeah. And it made it all the way over to the East Coast because you had the Chicago Sun running with the headline, supersonic flying saucers sighted by Idaho pilot. And that kind of yeah. cemented the, uh, That'll the, do the it. flying saucer into the the mind, <laughs> into, public, into the public mind. That'll do it. It's kind of funny. It's kind <clears> of <throat> funny they like, you even back then you see like the change of like the sensationalism even in the headlines as they change right yeah and and arnold arnold by most reports like when he he made his his uh you know he related his story to the reporters i mean he wasn't he was as skeptical as anybody he was just telling them what i saw he didn't of course at this point like we weren't like ufo's weren't part of the zeitgeist they weren't part of like you know like the uh, culture as they are now they weren't as heavily inlaid and um and he you know it, there wasn't the i mean you can argue now like there there wasn't the stigma that there is now about discussing ufos about like you know uh, aerial phenomenon stuff like that so he's just telling them plain out what he saw and so this thing kind of picked up and whatever whether it was you know this is uh, a result of the um you know, the Cold War kind of, you know, ramping up and stuff like this. So everybody's kind of be like, is it the Soviets? Who knows? Um, well, not only that, at this time, there was, it was still highly speculated that life on Venus or Martians, like they're like Venusians, like there could be, they hadn't ruled anything out yet. So there's still mass speculation. I don't think like it obviously wasn't in the public, but then when you see flying, flying crafts, Flying discs, yeah, you could say Russian, Soviets, fucking Venusians, Venusians. 
Earth. So I could imagine, because when this, the article is published, it doesn't say like extraterrestrials piloting flying saucers. It just has flying saucers, supersonic or whatever. And then imaginations can run wild. Or it was ETs. But at the time, it doesn't seem like it was presented as these are ET vehicles. These are like, there's like some supersonic craft. So you could have like made a wild jump. But then, yeah, meet like shortly after you get the Roswell uh, down craft and then they're, transport, they're transporting bodies. That's where it really picks up. So it, it, it's probably debatable as to whether this story might have actually just fallen by the wayside or might have not made that big of a splash if it weren't for another event that happened just a few weeks later and not Roswell like we mentioned before but there was another uh, another encounter that uh, commercial pilots sighted some UFOs uh, that their description was very similar to Arnold's so uh, this this encounter involved the United Airlines flight 105 and this was being piloted by Captain EJ Smith uh, on the evening of July 4th and it was as it was leaving Boise Idaho on its way to Seattle. Now, um, <laughs> now we can call him EJ Smith or we can call him Big Smithy as uh, Arnold. Uh, go, let's go with that. Refers to my Big Smithy. Big Smithy. Um, Dan, <laughs> Dan went on an Alex Jones style rant five minutes before the show started that he called him Big Smithy because uh, Kenneth or, or uh, yeah, Kenneth Arnold and him were having a love affair. And Big Smithy. <laughs> Was uh, they're hanging on hotel? They're they're hanging on hotel rooms. It's called a big space. It's just a manly friendship, I'm sure. It's yeah. very just you know, <laughs> very platonic, brotherly uh, type of relationship yeah. uh, based upon the similar experiences that they had. Because there, there's a very there's a famous photo that goes around. You have um, Big Smithy and Arnold. Uh, it's kind of like captioned as them comparing notes on what they saw. Like they they got them together in the same room to kind of since their stories were just like you know weeks apart, and they seem to have the same description of seeing the same thing and kind of put them together to be like, you know, w we can see what we saw. And I guess they were all, they you were, know what though? <laughs> it, it makes, it makes sense to me to have this kind of friendship with someone like this, because it's, if you see something like this and, and you're like, I know what I saw and there's nothing that like, I was there, you weren't, I know what these things were. And it's like all the excuses you're giving me and all these other things. It wasn't that I know I was there. I was there <laughs> and same with big Smithy. This would be a life changing. Like if you saw alien craft it's a, and you, you're like without a doubt, it's a life changing experience. It has to be. Cause you're like, this changes everything and no one believes me. So now you have this other person who's like, dude, I saw the exact same thing and he, his accounts as genuine as yours. I imagine there is some sort of like, camaraderie and like knowing that there's something else out there like they're they're probably this just changes in. everything more like love changes everything <laughs> all right i mean it's there was just one part there was a couple parts in the book uh that i mentioned before that oh big got, smithy it's got, got steamy this changes everything <laughs> right. big smithy style well he called him big smithy on account of that uh apparently ej smith yeah, is yeah, yeah, hung like a fucking schlong. donkey that's yes. what i heard yeah that's that's uh, 
when when they first met, uh, he was impressed by his size, not his, his package. package. No, and his girth. You know, he yeah. was very tall. His girth. <laughs> Um, but they did get an involved conversation and there was a point I think that they met like later on they were supposed to meet with some type of med- med- uh, military official that had come to like kind of talk to them about whatever or, or a friend of them like an acquaintance and they forgot about him for three hours at the airport while they were talking and then yeah. like they were talking about they, they said they were talking about their their experience and talking about what you know what it could possibly be all these well, all that st- kind of stuff just staring into each other's eyes <laughs> and this guy it's like as they describe each other's sentences <laughs> it's just i just have this picture they're like yeah we went back to the airport he was just like, standing like on the tarmac with like a really lost look or like in the airport just nobody had come to pick him up and that they were supposed to go get him it's kind of a really funny picture um but yeah, uh, Big Smithy said that the, when their when his experience occurred, he is, his airliner lifted off a little after nine p.m. Uh, in the evening of July fourth, and then had turned towards Seattle. And then shortly after takeoff, he described five disc-like objects, and oh. he kind of he said that the one was larger than the rest, and these craft approached the the airline head on from you know an opposing course like straight straight into them aliens playing and, chicken and, oh yeah and Airlines. his co-pilot ralph stevens would back him up on this they both saw it and they saw that these objects were heading right towards them and now uh, Stevens actually thought that perhaps that these were other aircraft he thought these were other civilian aircraft or something that were up there with them just you know the Again, like flying saucers weren't a huge thing yet. UFOs weren't a huge thing yet. So he's kind of going off what he knows. And it's reported that he flashed the airliner's landing lights just to kind of like signal them. Maybe they didn't see them. Maybe, you know, kind of going through his head or something. What a time to be alive where you could have... Like the, you would flash your high beams in the sky. <laughs> yeah, it's it's he was trying to signal them to be like, yeah, you know, kind of be like, hey, we're we're up here. And yeah. it, it's reported that in response to this, perhaps in response to this flashing of the lights, the craft uh, actually changed formation several times and then kind of fell in to formation around the airplane, like around oh, that DC three. So they kind of they kind of took a or they at least took a, a course that was parallel to the one that they were traveling. So they were just kind of being at this. And I think one of the stewardesses actually went on the record being like, "Yeah, I saw." something or i saw that's what they described i saw that too that they could see anything out the windows with all that cigarette smoke (laughs) it's true (laughs) the the airline flashed its lights and the ufos seemed to alter their course right so um scared them and this is this is where you get the same thing they described very similar objects to what arnold saw they said that there were no wings no tails visible on all, all five of these objects and that for 45 miles uh, Big Smithy said that he was able to keep these things in sight, and then they kind of peeled and off and they gone. they peeled off and they flew towards uh, and lost sight of them around Mount Baker, which was cool because if you you know anyone from you know Vancouver area or whatever you're heading down Chilock, you can actually see Mount Baker, so there might be a chance that these things were headed up uh, north of the border. Well, man, if you've never flown over this like Cascadia region, like. Uh, Northern California, Oregon, Washington, Southern BC. These like the big peaks of this air of like these mountains stick out for you're flying in a plane. Yeah. You see Mount St. Helens, you see Mount Rainier and like way taller than any of the other smaller peaks. 
Like, isn't Mount Rainier is like 14,000 feet? Like, one of the biggest mountains in North America is fucking crazy. Like, everything, like, there's mountains everywhere, all over <coughs> Northwest. You know, they only get up to like, you know, usually around. You heard it here first. There's mountains everywhere. <laughs> Breaking news. But then you, you travel over this region, and then these, like, like what is it, like 20, 20 peaks or so stick out, like, yeah. much bigger they are when you're flying over top. Um, when you guys were reading up on this, did you guys read up on William Rhodes at all? No. William Rhodes. Sounds like a wrestler. Who is he? Who is he? So apparently uh, about two weeks after um, Arnold's sighting, he caught uh, two crafts on camera in Phoenix, Arizona, and he submitted these pictures oh. to the Arizona Republic, which was a paper at the time. So they published these photos and Kenneth Arnold actually got his hands on a copy of that newspaper and went to the public saying, this is exactly what I saw. This is the same shape, same everything. And then when they compared the photos that he took to Kenneth Arnold's sketch, they look like remarkably similar. And um. supposedly the story goes that, uh, I think it was a government official, a Lieutenant Colonel Beam and an FBI, FBI agent showed up at this guy's door and confiscated the film. And took it away. And like this again, like Braden touched on already, this was just weeks before Roswell. Wow. So like a very similar, or if not the same it, kind of event. It's funny because I did, I did, I was listening to uh, Richard Dolan talk about this and I did hear him. He was started talking about that at, at an end of a lecture, but I didn't, uh, I didn't realize it had connections to Kenneth Arnold, but that makes a lot more sense now. That's cool. So with all this thing, like you have all these kind of people in different locations and now the flying saucer stuff is kind of popping up in, in pieces and you have at least one person trying to put the pieces together and that's Ray Palmer. And Ray Palmer was the um, the American author and editor uh, of Amazing Stories, which was like a science fiction magazine. And if you, could, you can actually find old copies online, which are pretty great. And they've got a lot of like science fiction short stories and kind of stuff like this. But he also had a vested interest in the paranormal, like printing he's, these stories and, and things like that in his also, magazines. He's also the Adam. He's also the Adam, yes. He's, he's also, also the, the namesake for the Adam, actually. Oh, and, really? Yeah. I, I oh, swear no to God, we said that on the last one, too. Like, I, oh, okay. we, <laughs> so I right. told you guys last time. He's the name, oh. he's the actual namesake yeah. for the character, the, the alter ego of the the Adam, the DC character oh, superhero. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, I got the Adam number. I got the Adam number one, by the way. <laughs> so how much is it worth? If anybody, time. you know, everybody's looking for one. <laughs> yeah, you got to start selling your stuff. You got to move it. No, no. Well, no, this is, these will go in the boxes. Mm. These, I'll give these to the kids. Kid can't touch my comics, though. You can crack these bad boys open. <laughs> uh, so on July 15th of that year, Ray Palmer actually wrote to Kenneth Arnold and offered him payment for his story. And now Kenneth Arnold, uh, in his book, he kind of, he in his biography a bit, he writes about how he had had offers before, like prior to to Arnold's request, or Palmer's request, being like, I, you know, we want to pay you for your story. Like, will you come and get us the, the exclusive or whatever? But he was impressed by Arnold's kind of sincerity or sorry, Palmer's sincerity uh, in his letter. Like he had, he felt like Palmer had a, a genuine interest in what he was talking about. It wasn't just a story. It was something that he really wanted to know about and really wanted to understand that, that kind of is what the, the impression that he got from the letter. So he kind of, he agreed, he, he agreed to give him his story. 
And then, so even after that, they kind of started up correspondence. Um, and, and even Palmer again is offered compensation for Arnold to travel and investigate the event in Tacoma, Washington, which would become known as the Maury Island incident. So, mm. um, which we talked about before another case file. So it's like they, you know, he became the first, Kenneth Arnold kind of became one of the first UFO civilian investigators. Like, yeah, because he, <laughs> he was like the man because he had a first-hand account, was willing to do this. Yeah, like him and Big Smith, I think him and, and Big Smithy Big were Smithy. both out there just going, sending like Palmer was paying them. I think he said like 200, <clears throat> he Western Unioned him like 200 bucks for uh, to cover expenses and he just flew over but to, to, it, to come It makes a it. lot of sense when you think about this, like, if if you were the first person to like have a sighting like this and you and you knew you're like man these are like extra these are like otherworldly crafts it would make sense to me that you're like i want to now devote my life to finding out more and finding more people that have seen these things like i need answers right when you see something this amazing i i imagine it's life changing yeah definitely. yeah uh, the people that he would meet after was a you know, a very interesting collection of people. And so here's something that I found interesting was that around the same time, like before he, I think before he went to, to investigate the Maury Island incident, Arnold was actually visited by two men from Air Force Intelligence. The A2 is what they were designated at this, at this time. And what he describes as a, a fairly cordial visit by F Lieutenant Frank M. Brown and Captain William Davidson. And like... I, I don't know. It's weird because most of the time, you know, in, in UFO story or UFO encounters and stuff that people have with run-ins with the military, men in black, all this stuff, you get this, this feeling that it's a generally like, you know, keep your mouth shut, you know, whatever, don't tell anybody or we'll kill your family or, you know, your, your dog or, you know, you'll have a car accident Everybody. to work or any of those kinds of things that really yeah. the standard, <laughs> standard yeah. uh, boilerplate encounter with men in black. But by, by Arnold's, only like his account, like these guys were really nice <laughs> when he well, met it's them. Cause they didn't know what they had yet, Dan. They didn't even have the men in black. They were just like, they, someone caught wind of the story. They're like, man, we should probably do something about this because we've been picking up these crafts. They're like, uh, Hey, you two go collect what this guy has. So it's it, I was like, these two guys are like the precursor to the men in black <laughs> going and collecting, you know, evidence for this. So they had no protocol. There's no protocol of like, hey, make sure this guy doesn't talk. They're just like, grab whatever he has. Yeah, and it's interesting because Arnold at this time, well, you know, you're just coming off of World War II. So, you know, faith in the military and and, and the government are at an all-time high, pretty much. And uh, it's just kind of, it's interesting to read Arnold's account um, of him interacting with these military officials because he, they kind of like started up a friendship. Like they had general correspondence with each other. He would talk to them, write them letters, and they'd respond um, well, and all this stuff. Th but th That all makes sense to me because these guys are tasked, right? He... They're coming to him being like, hey, we want to go through letters and stuff you have and, you know, take some back. We're researching these kind of things. The military's taking interest. We can't talk too much. He's like, oh, that's so cool, man. I saw these things. I'd love to keep in touch if you ever, you know, can let me know about stuff. They're like, sure, why not? Like, there, it's not a, there's no secrets yet, right? They don't even know what they have yet. So there's, it would make sense that these guys who have now tasked to like collect this information, he befriends them because why wouldn't you? You're looking into the same things. So it wouldn't be until later that you would get a declassification of the actual Blue Book 
Blue Book files on Kenneth Arnold's encounter. Like it was actually investigated by the Project Blue Book and, you know, went over by Heineck, you know, J. Allen Heineck himself. And um, they have a couple of explanations for what he maybe saw. And like, I, yeah, I'm, some of them are like, the first one is, they say in the, in the report, they talk about how uh, Arnold went on to describe the, the, the weather conditions uh, of like being very clear that day, being pretty much perfect. And they, in the report, they were saying that this, this would be a time that you would probably have a good chance of seeing mirages or a good time of seeing what would look like, like you'd have the sun, like, beaming off a cloud, maybe a lenticular cloud or something like that. And then that could possibly be uh, something that they saw. Like that's, that could be what he said. And then the other one, it's like the other explanation is that perhaps uh, uh, they were known aircraft and that Kenneth Arnold actually poorly estimated their speed. And maybe like, because of his relative position of like where he was going, maybe he saw something aircraft. But the thing is, Nobody ever came forward and said, like, those are the aircraft. Well, they would like, have to have been like, so if it's almost in formation, that's got to be military. So there should have been some type of record of training mission or something, you would think, right? Right. And this was yeah. this was before Roswell. It was, they could have just said, like, yeah, we're or whatever. And the military wasn't even using, like, I don't even think they were using turbo, like, they weren't even using turbojet airplanes at the time. Well, they had the, the they had, line. they just got um, jet airplanes, but not that long ago that they, they were still right. not very Or they wouldn't have been used. flying like five of them. Like, it's just like, yeah. yeah, I don't think they would have been fielding five out of Moses Lake and it would have been somewhere out in the desert. Like, it, it seems kind of really strange to that. So even in the explanations, like these were known aircraft, nobody came forward saying that, hey, we're flying planes to the air show or we were, you know, moving aircraft from one airfield to another. It would, it seems like well, a simple matter to just explain it away, being like somebody coming forward and being like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, they yeah, explained it. They explained it nicely because they said it may have been known aircraft, which is the dumbest way to explain something. It's like, what well, is it or isn't it? <laughs> like, take a stance, right? It may so have it's been a, a yeah. lot of things, <laughs> but they but they feel like in Blue Book, it's a, that's the they just kind of put a nail in it, and that's what they said. It's like could have been known aircraft. Uh, you know, he mis he misrepresented uh, the estimates, and he might have got the estimates wrong. Like, who knows? Um, well, he okay. Let's say he get he gets the estimates wrong. That's fine. These things were still clipping at enough to for him to try to conduct this experiment. Maybe it was off, and it's the speeds were less, whatever. It's still more than what we knew was capable at that time. Right. It wasn't even like they weren't even going, even if they were going that fast, he still would have known it because his original thought of when he saw these things like that, that, that initial flash of light, I think Arnold said that he thought it, he thought it was some like hotshot military pilot, like flying like a P-51, like flying a P-51 that it's just like, you know, fully chromed, real nice, <laughs> and maybe just buzzing him for the for the heck of it. You know, it would have been a heck of a lot faster than his plane. But, um, you know, it's like even that, it's like, it, again, if you're able to explain it by known aircraft, it would have been easy for the military to be like, hey, let's, you know, we could have got flight tower records explain or something. Yeah. That'd be like, yeah, there was some, there was a flight out of this, this, especially like five planes, like, or, you know, multiple aircraft flying information just makes a lot of sense yes. to be like, hey, yeah, there was a, uh, you know, there's a flight of these aircraft yeah, out of this airport around the same are in time. Town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> snowbirds are in town, boys. No big deal. Don't worry about it. Exactly. So it's, it, it just feels weird that that's, that's not in there or something. Like, you know, even if you, even if they wanted to lie about it, even if they could have said, oh, well, there's a flight, you know, I mean, people could have checked it out and they probably figured that, but. And add. 
Yeah. There was another event that was very similar. So it was like, it's just the same formation of aircraft just flying around, not telling anyone. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. And again, you have Big Smithy's report, which is just reinforces that. I mean, they're not exactly in the same area, but it's still like they're up there. They're doing something. (laughs) All right. We got a little more to talk about, but we're going to grab, well, I guess it's the middle of the day. It's not a beer. We're going to grab something to drink. (laughs) Penicillin. (laughs) Get brain some drugs. Uh, What's, What's that? Trivermectin, is that the one? Ivermectin. Ivermectin. Yeah, little, little Ivermectin. Or cattle grade too. Not the we want the cattle grade stuff. We no, we want oh, the yeah. stuff that comes in a tube, boys. Yeah, the ho- that's livestock grade Ivermectin that Brady's gonna go <laughs> shoot a tube in there. We'll be right back. Shoot the tube. So now uh, talking about those uh, uh those UFOs that Arnold had originally sighted. And we talked about how they, on their trajectory, they had disappeared <laughs> behind uh, or seemed to disappear behind Mount Adams. Now, just a little while ago, you had, um, so uh, in this press release, you had Jimmy Church uh, say that he had sighted and he took a photo of it and he outlined it with a nice big red circle, that there was an extremely large opening that appeared on Mount Adams, a a seemingly regular kind of square-shaped opening that he said that was opened up like possibly into the interior of Mount Adams, and that's where these UFOs were coming from. So (laughs) I believe him. Got a cool name. Fade to black, awesome song. Now he saw this. He saw this while he apparently was uh, was being hosted at what is known as E SETI Ranch, and E SETI is an acronym uh, for Enlightened Contact with Extraterrestrial Intelligence Ranch. Ranch, which is not an acronym, (laughs) just a ranch. I don't know. Can you call it a ranch? I guess you can because there's. I, I thought you like ranch. You had to have cattle. I guess well, not. ranch. You could be ranching anything alive. So if consciousness yeah, could have kitties or something, your consciousness Kitty is alive. Ranch. He's farming yeah. consciousness to uh, to talk to aliens. Yeah, I they're get- farming stupidity at Skinwalker <laughs> Ranch. That's good. <laughs> no, they're farming portals. Portals. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, living portals. Uh, so uh, East Eddie Ranch apparently is 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 owned by and operated by James Gilliland, who was a previously a successful California real estate salesman who had a brush with death, which changed his entire perception of the universe, as he puts it. And that uh, this occurred when he went body surfing and was apparently swallowed by a sneaker wave and then almost drowned uh, at that point. Oh, Oh, good old sneaker wave. I thought thought we were going to say like by Moby Dick or some shit. (laughs) He said swallow, like how about a shark? Uh, What's a sneaker wave? It's just like a type of, I'm not sure. It's a sneaky wave. Well, I think one that you don't see coming, it just sneaks up on you and you're fucking swallowed. (laughs) Uh, I I would imagine a sneaker wave would be something like you're right. So like there's sets of waves and out of nowhere, like a, one spring big springs one. up behind yeah, it and just fucking levels you. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. And so with in his experience, Gillen says that he was projected through a dark tunnel uh, where at the end of it, he met and communed with what he calls the source. And it gave him a choice on whether to go on or come back. And so he came back and but also with the knowledge that there is, I suppose, more out there. Right. So in 1986, or he's had a hypoxic brain injury from fucking drowning. Possibly. Possibly. Well, it's, you know what? Like, I, I've said, I've talked about it before on the podcast. 
I've done too many shrooms one time and I met the source and they're like, he's like, yeah, you died. <laughs> Welcome go back or not. And I was like, well, send me back. And he's like, pick one. And there was like reels of film everywhere. And I, I like picked the reel and he's like, oh, that's a good one. And then I was falling through the universe and ended up back in my room. So you could be in a different dimension than when you started is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You picked that one. Like that's the four hour Snyder cut. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, well, the voice, I couldn't see anyone, but the voice was like, oh, it's a good one. <laughs> uh, so in 1986, uh, apparently he went to Trout Lake, Washington, uh, which is near, I think it's a, it's a couple miles uh, south of Mount Adams. And he said that he knew this was the place that he had been seen in his dreams. Um, and this is where he decided to uh, buy some land and he started <laughs> what is known as Sattva Sanctuary. Now, for eight years, that's what it was until one day while meditating at home, he heard a voice in his head that he said was coming from a ship. And his sister apparently came in from outside and told him that there was a UFO floating above the house for some period of time while he was meditating. I don't think he saw it, but he just, I mean, he believed her. <laughs> Why would she lie? Were they doing sativa at the Satva Ranch? <laughs> well, they, no, you can't do drugs at East Seti Ranch because it is a drug and alcohol free area. So, uh, Lane, now, according- they lost so many clients. <laughs> They've lost so many clients. Now, according to Gilliland, uh, there is a base underneath Mount Adams that is used by a consortium of benevolent extraterrestrials. And he said that he has personally been in contact with several of these uh, extraterrestrial races. And he I- says at least the ones that, um, I guess some of the ones that he's, talk to he says ones are from Pleiades the the Pleiades star system he has some that are from the Andromeda galaxy Orion Sirius Arcturus and he says that there are actually not only are there benevolent ones but there are malevolent ones as well and these ones are what he says are the the archetypal grays and reptoids uh, which actually use a a porthole near Mount Hood to uh, where they base their craft my next thing was, so we talked about what he said. There's like a hole, it seemed to be a hole in the side of the mountain. Yes. So there is a video. There are a number of mountains, apparently. Well, that's, that's, so that, that's what it is. So say, I mean, the video doesn't show, it's hard to tell. It's a cave, I guess, but it doesn't seem like, it's not as sophisticated. What was the case at Pine Gap where they have the really fast opening and closing door? Right. Yeah, the, yeah. The ETs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem like one of Unbelievable. the- Unbelievable. Unbelievably <laughs> fast opening and closing actuated door. This one could be a cave or it could be a shadow. It's really hard to tell. But let's say it's a cave or an opening. I mean, all these mountains are volcanic, so there probably is like giant lava tubes and stuff. I'm not I'm not sure how much it's been explored. I'm sure there's some caving you could do on some. But yeah, I read the five different species of extraterrestrials inhabit either this mountain or other like as Mount Hood. So maybe there's this interconnected tunnel through all these, all of this. They even said, doesn't it like, like other mountains mm-hmm. in the States, like they're yep. all, either they're connected by a natural cave <clears throat> or they have like bored caves. And then we're making the joke before the podcast, Elon Musk is trying to tap into the system <laughs> with the boring. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's, it's all there. <laughs> these are all connected. So the, because even uh, like Palmer said, like he witnessed these UFOs seem to disappear like, into Mount Adams or like it could have been around it, but say they went 
Like there's a hole. They go in, they park down below. There's a, they could fly from mountain to mountain. So I was looking at this because I was like, I was like, oh man, maybe we should like. He said his ranch is not that far from us. <laughs> we can't do drugs, so we can't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's other we'll reasons s- why we can't go as well. <laughs> not just that. <laughs> um, so it's first off, oh, it's I run know, by oh, the I know great spirit. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's run by the great spirit. So, you know, dates you can book, main just black out eventually, depending on if the great spirit is. Um, but I was just clicking now to see if we could book any, and it says, please read before booking. <laughs> this is, this season, um, Isetti staff are aware that many potential guests to the ranch may have received one or more of the experimental SARS-CoV-19 injections that are subject to emergency use. However, these injections have not been fully approved by the FDA to ensure long-term safety and efficiency of the human populations. Based on the review of the data of the CDC's VAERS, uh, Isetti staff are requesting that anyone who has received one or more of the experimental SARS COVID 19 uh, injections refrain from attending events in person at the ranch for the 2022 season. <laughs> Isetti and its staff do not carry insurance coverage to manage potential adverse events and reactions that may occur for injected guests while in visiting the ranch and are not willing to assume such risks. Due to reports of adverse effects in uninjected women and children, especially in pregnant women who share living spaces with those who have received the experimental injection, injections, Isetti staff will await deeper scientific investigation and study into the potential effects of shedding and or transmission of spike proteins between those who have received injections and those who have not <laughs> before reconsidering this position and facilitating an environment where Uninjected individuals, women and children may be put at risk. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, My fucking brain hurts. So bad. So you can't can't go if you're so bad. If you're vaccinated. But But for risk of shedding. Exactly. But for risk of shedding, they're saying that's like their main concern. But you can just go and be sick and just go. Yeah. It doesn't say like they must not ever leave the ranch, I guess, either. I mean, well, I'm go just going to gonna say, store. I can be sick to... and I can just pretend like, oh, I have a cough, like, oh, it's allergies. I could be super sick with COVID and just go there. Yeah. Would be know, well, the well, as long as you don't have the dirty vaccine. I guess. They don't have insurance <laughs> to cover vaccinated people. I'm what like, is it? Are they, are they trying to guard against sudden adult death syndrome or whatever they call it? <laughs> yeah. You just go there sad. and you die. It's, and it's <laughs> the big sads. Sads. <laughs> the big sads. Yeah. You show uh, up, you die. Yeah, we don't have coverage for that. So. Yeah, it's it's a trip. I read a couple articles about this place, this Isetti Ranch, and it's like it kind of pops up in a, a couple things, especially with that that press release about the there being a, a door uh, on the upside. And like like Zell said, I think there's at least at least one TV show that has gone up there in a helicopter because it's not that hard to be like that's you know they pointed out one area that was possibly that thing. They said it looked like it was a piece of kind of like maybe the rock shelf, like kind of come off and they said that maybe during evening hours like you would catch like a door here but uh, apparently like this place like they take out people on regular uh nights i guess their biggest kind of selling point is like their sky watching mm-hmm. uh they have like a sky watching in the field outing. of dreams it's called yes in the field of the dreams field of dr- and um you go out there totally sober because it's alcohol and drug free and um you go out there and you watch the night sky, which I mean, sounds peaceful. Sounds nice. Sounds There's nothing pretty, wrong with uh, that at all. That yeah. sounds fun. Yeah. 
Sounds pretty good. Um, you know, and there's plenty of videos on their website um, of people like pointing out things that are being like, these are the UFOs up there. Like they will, they'll point out objects and they say that these are, um, these objects are traveling in and out of Mount Adams or traveling overhead. And it's very, I mean, it gives me very much like uh, Stephen Greer vibes. <laughs> Well, that's like, what I mean. Like Stephen Greer's probably got a lawsuit against these guys because they're, they're kind of stepping on his toes a bit with the C SETI, E SETI. <laughs> one's consciousness, one's what's the E? What's the E for? Uh what did I say? Enlightened. Enlightened. Okay. So yeah. Hmm. It's Interesting. yeah. So it's re- yeah, that's really strange. It's like it's really, really similar. I was like, Do I you wonder- have to sign an NDA to go. I don't, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure. I don't think so. It just seems, it, it's really strange. Like, I mean, um, this guy, Gilliland, like he's got, I guess he he has a kind of radio show or a YouTube show or something that he puts out. And it's really funny because it's like, he's got this really like normal photo of him. Like not like a hedge, not like a professional headshot or anything. It's like you took it out in the middle of a field with, <laughs> with like a crappy gear. And it does like an anamorph into like a lion. And <laughs> oh yeah. Great I was seeing a lot of stuff about like the, yeah, the lion. Uh, it's like enter the lion's game. Right. Or there's a, yeah, there's a lot of talk about stargates Den. and stuff. And it is this like I'm pretty sure like in the design for his logo, like that's the stargate yeah. from the. He wears stargate. He exclusively <laughs> it's stargate. He exclusively wears Mexican sweaters now. Yeah, is that real? If you <laughs> if you go yeah. if you're if you're interested in. Seti.org and it, you get there and you have to click enter the Lions Gate to get to the website. <laughs> oh, I like it. And I'm in. I'm in the Lions Gate right now. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And this thing kind of got me thinking. It's like, dude, like when, when does, because Gillen, like he, on the website, he talks about kind of like his whole, either his experience with the contact with extraterrestrials or his kind of just general outlook on life and what these, what these extraterrestrials have uh, knowledge that they've imparted to him talking about stuff that we've kind of heard before with other uh, UFO contactees talking about, or at least some of them, those are that don't get like the weird, like triangle up the rear treatment, um, but you get the, um, some of the people, uh, talking about how you know extraterrestrials and think like Betty and Barney Hill, like how humans are, uh, we're kind of like a disappointment. We're like uh, you know we're ruining the planet. We need to we're too industrialized and all of this kind of things. Like we're moving too far from nature. A lot of this stuff is apparently what the the, the extraterrestrials have told him. All right, whatever and you say, George like, Guidestone. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it, it's just this weird thing that it's like it's like yeah, like the aliens are going to come down and it, they're going to save us at some point, or they're going to make themselves known. And it just it, it gives me those ringings of just like it's it's almost almost cult vibes, not quite. Um, you know, it's like when does this when does the the whole kind of interest in ufos like we have a general interest when does it become like oh. almost like a religion like it's the lion's like, gate uh, cult like when you step through the lion's gates <laughs> it's a lion's gate cult was it the heaven's gate cult yeah that was the other one yeah that was, that was the, the other new one. one um don't drink the kool-aid i mean i just saw i just saw a thing a video of him uh talking about how they do have an e-seti hawaii coming soon and Oh, that's, that's the one that one sounds out. awesome. That, yeah, that one, one should be at the top us. of the volcano too, at the very top. Yeah, very top. <laughs> Mount ha- Haleakula. That's the one on Maui. What's the big one on the Big Island called? Uh, oh, I forget. Bigger. I, I on Maui is actually pretty dope. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing about being like you know UFOs probably may, might have some interest in volcanoes. Like there's some connection there that I mean, it's people, power of the craft from geothermal man. power. 
It's true. Yeah. It is a you got unlimited <laughs> energy in there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's just one of those things that I'm like, when does it when when does it because it sounds a lot like a religion. It sounds a lot like to be like, yeah, the aliens are gonna come down and save us. You just, you know, you replace aliens with your choice of deity, uh, Jesus. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, whatever. It's like, a cult now. You need more people for it to be a religion. That's the only difference. Right. I guess you don't really have to buy into anything for him. It's like it's it's not really a religion because he's not really demanding anything. It's just you turn up and you kind of it's kind of whatever. But project your consciousness, lights, and you see yeah. Things. Which I mean, there are always lights in the sky now. It's like you got you got Starlink up there. It's like you're always going to be able to see it. You're ever. I mean, there's so many satellites. It's like yeah, you could think and you would see a satellite. I don't want to be out of the... <laughs> well, yeah, and I was reading that like only the ESETI staff can use the laser so they point out the objects. That's so it's right. Like... Lasers. <laughs> and I would go. if I. There's nothing wrong with going. I'd go. Like I'd go 100%. It'd be super fun. Sky watching sounds fun. Night, day or two. I was like, but yeah, but we wouldn't have to go. I mean, you wouldn't have to go there. I could, you know what? Let's say you went. You know what? I, mean, I, I think I could run a better... Version. Yeah, there. See, yeah, that's what I want. I think I want cells. Mine involves drugs. <laughs> I guarantee. <laughs> I guarantee we, you will see something. Can we call it the Zellfire Club? You're damn right, we can. <laughs> Zellfire Ranch. Yeah, yeah. Zellfire Ranch. It'd be so fun. fun. <laughs> you would for sure. You'd see a lot of cool shit. Yeah, yeah you I was like, if we had aliens. an ATT ranch. I figure ours would be way more fun. <laughs> we have a ca- we have a camp ATT forming a little bit. That's true. I mean, from from the from the stuff I read about the 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 place, like I mean, you can bring your own camping gear, but they also have a couple like cabins, yurts to kind of rent out. But they're it's pretty much like bunk beds with like dream catchers inside. That's pretty much it. Pretty very bare bones uh, type of place. Um, I mean, I don't know what ATT Ranch would have. Like what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like we'd have a karaoke. Everyone mach- gets a we'd laser. Have, we'd have a karaoke machine at least. Like. <laughs> we get we give everyone laser pointers. You smoke yeah. a big joint, and Literally then everyone's no blind. air traffic can. <laughs> yeah, everyone's <laughs> blind. Everyone's <laughs> blinding planes as they fly uh, over top. Get them. <laughs> Blind them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those weird, those strange things that you kind of hear about. That it's like, yeah, it's like, is this is this guy for real? I don't know. Like, it's it's people have these experiences and a lot of people have other people have had these experiences, but, um, you know, for me personally, I find it a little bit worrisome. It's just like, yeah, this sounds a lot like Stephen Greer's thing. And, but you know, you have to pay all in cash. You have to pay in cash. Like Stephen Greer, Stephen Greer went there and went, Ooh, I could do this better and make way more money (laughs) out in the middle of the desert. Like, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting little, little tidbit of information that, that you know, our our UFOs. I mean, there is that kind of theory that they are. You know, there are secret UFOs under some bases, like we said, like uh, Mount Shasta being one of the big ones. I think Mount Hood, and like you know, underground. Anything like is that? Are these entrances to Hollow Earth? What is it? Yeah, like, <laughs> know that the Earth is like honeycombed with a bunch of like of caverns and lava tubes. It's just like usually, yeah, because most of those most of those mountains in the Pacific Northwest, like those were volcanoes at they some are, time. I mean, Mount yeah. Mountains is a volcano. <laughs> a lot of those mountains are active volcanoes in a thousand or 10,000 years. They're not classified as dormant. Like they are active volcanoes and they could erupt at any time. Like back, what was it, 1980 something? Mount St. Helens just blew up. <laughs> yeah. 
So half the mountain's gone. <laughs> it's fucking yep. just exploded. And now Bigfoot lives there. Great spot. Yeah, but like, I mean, all the, like, yeah, active volcanoes. So like honeycombed with lava tubes. It's just like, I find like if there was a giant underground cavern, an opening on the land wouldn't be very big, I don't think. I think it might open up as you go in. Closer to the surface, the rock becomes probably more, like, it's more unstable. It's more susceptible to weather and freezing and landslides and... I'd like to discuss with them like what like what distinguishes the benevolent ETs from the male- from the more malevolent ones. They says like the greys and the reptoids. Like what some makes probe them- you, and the others <laughs> just have sex with you. Oh, which well, that's just probing <laughs> in a different way. <laughs> or now, I mean, what probing. if you're a person who's into probing? Then it's like I guess you're win win. Like the, 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 that's the both yeah. worlds. <laughs> I think that's how he decides if they're malevolent or not. <laughs> He's into did it. I, oh, did I consent? I mean, I'm I'm I don't know. Maybe he just has a thing against reptoids. Like, maybe they're, you know, maybe he's a space Those racist. Scary little bastards. <laughs> space <laughs> racist. Space racist. All oh, those scaly bastards. Like, come on, man. They just look weird. They're harmless. Like, no. Until they reach out tongues. and slash your guts out with their reptilian they're cold-blooded. claws. cold-blooded. <laughs> it's like, wow, now that's racist. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's I uh, you know it's it's an interesting little little tidbit information because I don't think there's any shortage of these places. I like I th- there's more than one. Like we talked about Stephen oh, Greer's. Like there's plenty of these kinds of places that promise you. Uh, you know, Stephen Greer's got a fucking app, so you can do it anywhere <laughs> you are in the world for forty nine ninety nine. Right, and yeah, like I PDF. said, this place you have to pay in cash, so that's kind of weird. Um, a little bit shady, but I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they just don't like, they, they want to go through the middleman of uh, having a, a payment processing thing, but um, they want to go through the middleman called the government paying taxes. <laughs> yeah, they probably owe a lot of money in taxes and this is their way. And a bunch of money buried in coffee cans <laughs> on the ranch. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, interesting. I mean, probably, I don't know if I drive out there to, to go to that place. It doesn't sound If I was fine, in the I area, know. like I'm not making the trip just yeah. for it, but if I'm out there, yeah, I don't. I, I'd have to. We'd, we'd lie. We get in there somehow. So what are they gonna do? It's, check? Like <laughs> I, I'd, I'd line all all like the waistbands, my <laughs> sneak in drugs. Uh, I could just. The be, guy yeah, looks like I'd the be. biggest stoner in the world. Come on, people. I do. He's just wearing ponchos like twenty four seven. Like he's we'll just, just eat <laughs> edibles. Why are we? Why are we sneaking in joints? It's just uh, sneaking edibles. That are on joint. Well, I guess if you, right. yeah, you eat enough edibles, then you're, you can hallucinate a little bit. So, okay, we'll bring both. <laughs> it's not short. That's not short ourselves. It's settled. Here. Yeah, it is settled. Brain can meet the source again. Like, hey, you're back. <laughs> yeah. Fucked up again. I'm running out of good ones to put you back in. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's cool. Like the Kenneth Arnold, like the initial sightings of UFOs and like how it gave, if like how that kind. Of now it, yeah, it, it, and this it is now where we're at. It would have been something. It would have been something different, I guess. If like if Roswell never happened, so whatever you think about that. Like if more stories didn't happen immediately after this, would this have been as well remembered? Or like when did when did UFOs become like spiritual almost? Like it's almost like a spiritual experience now because you know the Kenneth Arnold is a very physical thing. It's very just like cut and dry. This yeah. is what I saw. You know, trying to trying to figure it out what it is. Was it like when the Betty and Barney Hills started, the stuff started? Like yeah, there is some... Was it, was it when they started coming and terrifying people yeah. in their homes? I mean, there, there's got it. I 
there's probably a, a line somewhere or an event that kind of marks that shift. And I'm kind of, you know, uh, we'll probably figure it out as the more we look into all of these, but it's like, you know, keeping that in the back of your head, like, I think it's an interesting thing to kind of look into as to whether, like, when did, when did aliens become the saviors? When did they become the gatekeepers of spiritual consciousness? Apparently, like, that's it's the because- fucking dawn of time. Look at all the fucking <laughs> religions. Those are all aliens, bud. Alien. Gods are aliens. <laughs> I'll tell that so. Jehovah Witness every time he knocks on my door. <laughs> he, doesn't, he won't agree with me, though. I'm going to get him one day. You keep, Just give him a hundred dollar. He'll get it. <laughs> Wait, I wouldn't be able to. Are you sure? I think so. This... <laughs> yeah, I'll save that for after. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was going to say the scariest Muslims are white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. But it's... Uh... I don't know. I did, I think that's something interesting to look into where it's just like a, to think about like when did when did this really become when did it go from a you know this a very nuts and bolts to to I don't know what most people call it the woo <laughs> and to get into there so well if know. there's I mean if say there is a galactic spanning like civilizations like multiple different ET species some good have found Earth. Like who, who knows? Maybe there is some like we bring you love type of aliens. Like do this, don't do that. Stop burning oil, and we'll save your planet. And other ones are like we're here. We're slowly hybridizing your species. We're gonna kill all of you and take the planet. I mean, why wouldn't there be though? Like that, that's the same in the human race. We have those. We have yep. We have humanitarians and we have greedy bastards that are stealing everybody's resources and invading other countries for fucking no reason. Yeah, like the majority of humanity are good people. Like everywhere you go, good people everywhere. And then it just takes one bad person, (laughs) well-spoken bad person, get a few other people on your side, a couple of weapons, and then that's all you need. Take over like unarmed villages all the time. So it could be ETs, like all their 99% of ETs are peace, love, you know, galactic travelers. They're just traveling to planets. They like to, they're scientists. And then it takes, a, it all takes is one Thanos. Yeah, one. Just one. Key species with the same technology. And then you transform that technology into weapons, plasma rifles and whatever the fuck else you can, you can make. <laughs> Triangle probes. Triangle probes. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. Just takes one bad egg in a galactic sea of great aliens. Like until, uh, they start wiping us out or we're saved. We're probably not really going to know. Fun. Ursa battleground. <laughs> take, us to, take us to the good one. <laughs> Ursa is going to be the battleground. The, f- the final battle. Well, but then, and I guess it's like, if, but if they wanted the planet, like why would they have it as the final battleground? It's <laughs> a good question. Uh, good. Ask them. Ask them. It's a good movie though. I, yeah, I'll go to East Eddie Ranch and I will ask <clears> them. Reach out. Reach out. Let us know what they think. Got it. <laughs> Who do we have this week for Theorite of the Week? Uh, that Andrew uh, picked it. Okay, this <laughs> week's Theorite of the Week is Ty Halone. Uh, Ty made a couple of really cool drawings for us. One of them was a while ago. You, It was a uh, Bigfoot driving a UFO, right? Yeah, with right. our little logo right. on UAP. the side. And then this week, he just recently posted a UFO... Um, Beaming up some pancakes. A little good old Italian entity. 
salty pancakes. Yeah. yeah. Really cool drawing. Wasn't, weren't they, salt, no, they were saltless. They were totally lacking salt, in salt. Oh, no salt pancakes. Yeah, they were lacking no in salt. salt. Pancakes. Upon yeah. chemical analysis, they were lacking in salt. Damn it. So. Aliens want our pancake recipe. That's why they're here. Thank you very much for those. You are this week's <laughs> Theorite of the Week. We appreciate it. Right. And if you're not supporting the show and you want to support your boys, your favorite podcast, you know what to do. Aliantheorist.com. Hit that support button. Patreon, Supercast. Gain early access, ad-free. Okay. 660 or epi- Boom, episodes wow. in total. We need six more and then we're so done. So that's including all, <laughs> all the case files, all the cosmic channels, all the bonus, all the extra shows. It's like 660 episodes. Yeah, Woo. six more, then we're done. That's it. Finish it off. 666, we're done. <laughs> uh, we got a full year pledge from Nazish Ahmed. Uh, we got Dia Buddy. We got Brainwashed by Captain Specificity the, for, with a year pledge. Another year by Strange Sapien. Uh, Felicia the, the Shakes. Felicia the Shakes. We got A.A. Ron. Nice. Oh, that's going to be I like this one. Douglas Cara Gelsecco. Galasco? Galasco? Cara Galasco? <laughs> I like this. Wayne. We got Wayne. Yeah, we got Wayne, Wayne over here. And finish it off with Kelly Hendricks. We got Robert Sear. We got John. Kristen Lack. Russian. Uh-oh. Putin heard me talking bad about him. <laughs> Listen to After Hours. Yellowbird. Oh, Dan is supporting the show at the lowest yeah. tier. It's <laughs> kidding. It's Dan. Dan. <laughs> Gabrielle Bomb. El Buzzbo. Tenko and Tessa H. Thank you very much for supporting the show. We appreciate it. And before I say that thing, head to our merch store. This is your last chance to buy July merch before the store shifts into our August merch. Uh, Check out now, and as we always say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. Peace.